Today's podcast is brought to you by the Gobbledy Newsletter, a free weekly email about the language of software marketing that one reader called a must-read for marketing nerds, and that reader was not me. Use code POD at sign up and get 100% off the price of the free newsletter. That's 100% off the price of a free newsletter. Sign up at gobbledy.substack.com. That's G-O-B-B-L-E-D-Y dot substack dot com. I'm Jared Blank. A few years back when I was running marketing at the scheduling company Doodle, I decided that maybe I should take my own advice, the stuff I've been saying for years about uh, copy and brand voice, and try to create a voice for the Doodle brand, like a human voice that didn't sound like everyone else. So to do that, I called Joanna Weeb, who runs a firm called Copy Hackers, to write the website and marketing copy for us. The copy they wrote was funny, and it was weird, and it was long, and I loved it. A lot. And while a lot of the people I worked with were either confused by it or deeply, deeply uncomfortable, that made me love it only even more. So I wanted to talk to Joanna about writing copy specifically for software companies, and why making a change to your brand voice is such a fraught experience for so many. And while sometimes conversations like this have an easy answer at the end that's tied up in a bow and you go do this thing and everything gets better, this one doesn't really end that way, which somehow I felt made it even better. I'd love to hear from you. Any feedback, ideas, guest ideas, I'm at jaredblank129 at gmail.com, J-A-R-E-D-B-L-A-N-K-129 at gmail.com. That's a terrible email address. I'll get a new one soon. But for now... Here's my conversation with Copy Hackers founder, Joanna Weeb. So, Joanna, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. So, what's Copy Hackers? What, what, I, I knew you from uh, when you were helping software companies rewrite everything they do, but what, what is Copy Hackers? So, we are an online training business. Now, we teach software companies how to write all the things. That is what we do. We create free and paid content that we strive to make really actionable and top quality. So we've taken some courses that are not so good and we, we try to do the opposite. Uh, that's what we do. <laughs> Why do software companies need help like this? Why are they so uncomfortable? I was going to say terrible, but I, I don't like crapping on software companies. Why are they so <laughs> uncomfortable with this piece of it? I, I feel like there are two answers that I can say in my experience, two reasons I think that might be, maybe three, but two. The first one, I'll go with the second one, and that is software companies grow so quickly, often, right? Like when they grow, they really grow, and you see them just hiring and hiring and hiring, and it can be easy for your message to get overlooked along the way, and for people who come in to have a sense that, uh, sales is icky and this product sells itself. 
And so there's that kind of sense of all we have to do is push a bunch of people into our product and then it will miraculously activate them and they'll never have to think again about why they're here and if this is what they want to use. And of course that gets problematic, but I think it's easy with beautiful pirate metrics, but it's easy to like shove problems along, never really recognizing that like that first acquisition is really critical to getting that right so that people stick with you throughout. But it can be easy to buy traffic and get people into your free trial. So you don't really have to worry about working on this until it's kind of too late. And you have, you don't know what your positioning is. You don't know any of these things, right? So you have this really fast growth and it's easy for messaging to get lost in the shuffle, especially when people click the free trial button. Um, so easily. But the thing that I think about first is there's so many solopreneurs, these single founders who are technical, who are building a great product, but just don't know how to talk about it. And that's okay. You don't have to, because you're really good at building the thing. And sometimes they can be brought there. And when you talk to them and like interview them, they actually do know how to talk about it and like what's so valuable about it and desirable to people and who their market is and what that market cares about. But there's this, the line between your head and your hand, like the length of your arm is very problematic. Like that's where all of these great ideas like die along the path to you actually typing them out on a keyboard. And so when people actually go to write it, particularly when those solo founders do, or those like earlier technical founders or co-founders go to write things, they overcomplicate it and think it has to sound like marketing and then it doesn't sound like anything. So it's really that really fast growth means marketing messages get thrown out or like overlooked. And secondly, slower growth early parts mean you're like tediously working through stuff and trying to make it sound like marketing and then it doesn't sound like anything. Yeah. Do you think the sound like marketing is the problem that it's not that they don't know how to speak about it? It's that they think you have to speak about it in this kind of specific way because everyone else does. Yes. In a word, yes. <laughs> that is it. This like, ooh, marketing, it sounds good. And you want it to be, you know, we're surrounded by advertisements and we forget that advertising and marketing are two different things. They're closely tied together, right? But you can come up with a tagline for Coca-Cola and have no idea how to write a homepage for your software company. You want to write the tagline for Coke because that's exciting and fun. And you hope that that can apply all of the short copy, snappy things that you think uh, people care about. Ooh, save time, save money. Ooh, that sounds great. That sounds like marketing. And that's, that gets exciting for people who are newer to marketing. And then of course, not exciting for the visitor who's reading it, wondering, what do you do? Like, what is this thing? Yeah. So I feel like actually you just hit on one thing that always bothers me is around everything either saves time or saves money. And so mm. everyone, I feel like so many homepages lean on those things. How do you get people past that? Because when I have a conversation with founders, they say, but it does save money, but like, okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm not arguing with you, but it doesn't tell you anything. How do yeah. you get them? How do you get them there? The only way I've been able to successfully 
argue <laughs> or debate that with anybody is by not being involved in it at all and just saying, okay, well, let's go see what customers say. That's the only way I've never been able to get somebody on board. They want to believe me, but then they still go back to what they want to say. And of course, if the CEO wants to say it one way and can't get past that, then, you know, you're kind of screwed. But for people who are open to trying new messages, then it's let's just go properly listen to what customers say and shut up. <laughs> it's a hard message to hear, like shush, 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 shush. Um, and just like listen to them. It doesn't mean they're going to tell you the right words to use, but they can at least, are they talking about saving money as that primary message? And if they are, okay, great. How are they saying that? Do they, do your customers say, I love Basecamp because it saves me time? don't think so right it does but that's not what it is and of course the base camp guys are really good at this stuff right so they get that but all these other companies if they're not using those words what words are they using and let's do we have to have a reason not to use the words our customers use is my take on it yeah do you do you get pushback when you present when you interview customers and come back and present them and say you know this is what we heard these are the words that they're using and because I, I feel like i hear well i mean they don't understand it they're saying it because of this there, there's always a reason yeah they're not our they're not the customer we want yeah i love they're that. our last customer right <laughs> so yeah there's totally pushback. And so we try to anticipate that up front in earlier conversations. How is your future customer different from your current customer? So who should we be listening to? And that can help. But it honestly takes, it does, it takes somebody in the organization believing that there's something that we're missing, that we're missing in marketing, in our messaging here without that. And you have to believe that it's not going to come from you, which is what all of us are out there marketing, trying to raise that level of sophistication, right? Like help CEOs and CMOs stop with their own little echo chamber of I'm so smart. I know everything. No offense. <laughs> and a lot of them are so smart and do know a lot of things. Um, but you can't sit down at a boardroom table and come up with the message that will get you new market share or change the way you know or bring in more mqls like all of the things that you want it's not going to happen there so yes we get pushback um it's always of course better if there's someone internally that you can have on your side otherwise it is a bit of a long slog to get people you can even you can have winning tests you can have them suspend disbelief long enough for you to win the test and still have them or their team go, mm, but I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, well, that was the situation at Doodle that, you yeah. know, that the copy that was that the team brought to us was edgy yeah. and different and stuck out and was long. And I mean, it was literally the reason we brought you in, like specifically because of those things. And yeah. just it there's there's nothing you can do to there's nothing you can do to get over that hump if there isn't someone shepherding it internally yeah. because you can all the data on earth the open rate any whatever pick a thing even if it's better people will say Gah! and you yeah. just have to force it and you know I, you can only fight so much i don't understand where that deep 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 discomfort comes from i don't either i don't either because for me 
I get so jazzed. Marketing to me didn't really click until I started measuring how our marketing was doing when I was at Intuit. I didn't. The team was, and I had been at an agency before and they didn't measure things. It was just like, turn this stuff out. Let's just do what the client needs it. Let's just do what the client wants often. But then you move into an organization where they're focused on measurement and growth. And when you see, hold on, wait, the words we use, when we change some words, we can get different results. Like that's a magical power that's a little wand and you can actually use it, but like people just put the wand aside and go with whatever they feel like doing. I think part of the thing is a lot of marketers, sadly, I think, don't believe um, that marketing can do that much. Oh, there is no group of people who is more of like a beaten stray dog than B2B marketers. It's so true. I, I keep saying it, it. We do the worst job of marketing ourselves. Yes. We are always yes. blamed. No one understands what we do. We've come up with the acronyms that cover up the work that we're doing. So we say, oh, but the MQLs were this, the SALs were this. And in the end, you know, the, I think the senior team will say like, well, did, did you generate revenue? Like, well, maybe, I don't know. We had good this and this and this. And it... And then uh, I just feel like every every conversation I have with a B2B marketer is a therapy session. Wow. Yeah, it's terrible. I want to write a book now, like <laughs> marketer, market thyself. Yeah. Like, it's time to, right? Yeah, <gasps> why doesn't anyone know what we do? This is literally what we do for a living. And no one can tell you what B2B marketers do. They think we do events. Maybe you write a white paper. You're somehow mm. involved with sales. But there's an email in there somewhere. There's probably an email in there. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. interesting. I think it's a really good insight. It's yeah. crazy. And I think that fact is part of why you end up with an unwillingness to take a risk in the language you use. And I, I love what you said. It, it is a magic wand. And in, yeah. you know, so, you know, in politics, messaging and framing is the whole thing, right? That we sort of talk about the same five issues for 75 years, but the framing of it changes and is enormously powerful. Yeah. And you, why that hasn't translated into our world and just a blindness to the power of it, that's what it is. It's a blindness to how powerful that can be is incredibly frustrating. Yeah. And I don't know if it's like a matter of I don't know if this is always true, but it feels common for marketers to maybe be aware that you can misuse these powers. And so it's always this, let's take the high road. Let's as if, as if touching on pains is problematic. Um, We're like, you think about in politics, certain phrases that catch on and can be put on a hat and worn around and we can all see the power of this like the, you know it's powerful now let's break down what is so powerful about that particular message and why can't we try to apply those sorts of powers in our own marketing when i teach on stages how to take the messages that your customers say like the words they say and use them 
exactly as they are in your copy. The first thing I hear without fail, and I've been saying this exact thing for 10 years on stages, not just in North America, all over. Um, is that even allowed? Won't you get sued for that? Is that ethical to steal their words? <laughs> steal their words. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, um, okay, maybe look into some copyright laws, but why is the first thing that so many marketers jump to not enthusiasm to finally go listen and find that message that could actually move something, but this whole I'm going to be skeptical and not try it instead and find fear. like a way to build a fence around myself to keep myself from it. Fear. I, I think fear drives, I mean, I think fear drives software purchasing. I think fear drives the marketing of it. And I think the other piece of it that I've seen, and I think it comes from a good place, is the sales teams are often afraid of alienating anybody. And yes, so the reason yeah. why you end up with just like someone filled a bucket with words and dumped it onto the homepage is because salespeople have said, but these people might be interested. So you have to use this or you have to yeah. use this phrase because what if they're interested in this? And as a marketer, what am I going to say? No sales team. You're the one actually generating revenue. I don't want to do that. Uh, yeah, that's true. And so then you like try personalization, but anybody who's tried it, like you, it, I, it's tricky. Like personalization rarely actually pays off. So it's like typically been at least something that a marketer could say like, okay, well, if we have to say these different messages on a page, can we at least start tracking cookies on these yeah. users, click, see what they're clicking on and then serve up those messages to them. But that's a whole other problem. Um, and I don't see it actually no matter how many times we try engaging in personalization and on-site segmentation with clients um, and even for ourselves, it uh, doesn't pay off <laughs> the same yeah. way. So it's like, what's broken there then? Yeah, It's very hard, in, in, especially in enterprise B2B, you don't have enough visitors. So the numbers aren't yeah. big enough. So once you split them, once you split it even up- Even further. Numbers, yeah, you, you, you can't really, it's very challenging to do that. It's yeah. unbelievably challenging, even if you do have enough visitors to scale that like okay so let's just divide this in three uh to scale we're talking having a conversation about doing this correctly once how do you do yeah. it at that level two times or three times it's to your and point and then I'm every not sure subsequent experience is still part of those like segments right and right yeah yeah so then the marketer i you know they're kind of stuck Yes. And so one of the things that I, I, well, one of the reasons I think they do get stuck. So on the B2C side of the world, outside of software, there's a whole bunch of tools in the toolbox. There's humor and there's satire and there's celebrity endorsement, right? There's, there's lots of, there's cleverness, there's anger, there's, there's all sorts of tools you can use and copy that we don't use, seemingly don't use at all in yeah. B2B. Have yeah. you successfully employed any of that and gotten a company on board with, oh, you know what? We're going to be irreverent. Huh. We tried with you. Yeah, right. <laughs> you yeah, were that's down. What happened, and I was open to it. <laughs> right, so yeah, um, my bad. We have, you know, I feel like it's a win when we, when we pull people away from forward headlines 
I'm already like, okay, man, <laughs> good job. But irreverence, the one that we did, it's called lemon.io. That's the website, but the team was really on board with it. So it is um, development services and the theme they wanted to go with was like, let's build a cult around what we do. And so they hired us to write cult-like language. Um, and so the, whole, the headline on the homepage is something like, behold, the almighty devs you've been seeking or something like that. And then throughout the page, we just like get kind of like oddly religious with things. <laughs> Um, which is compared to what people expect and what their competitors are doing, it's irreverent-ish yeah. that the client wanted us to do it. And maybe people are offended. And some, if you're highly religious and like by the book, you would be like, this is irreverent, <laughs> like literally. Um, but sometimes we can. And I think some B2B marketers and B2B founders are like, excited to try something different i think it's when they grow if you're not the founder or you're not one of the earlier hires you're scared like how do i you're intimidated by the people around you there's been all this growth you have all these goals you have to hit it makes sense to do the safe thing not the scary thing because then you do you just hit your numbers or you don't hit them, but you hope and pray the C-suite is distracted by something else at the time that your numbers come in. If you were in a company and wanted to try to change the language, change mm -hmm. how you speak about it, how do you bring that up? How do you start that conversation? Because really, you're starting from scratch, right? Because you, you, know, you know what every software company is like. How do you introduce that? Is there a safe way? Is there a safe space? Is there a safe way to have that conversation? For us, we've tried to, when we go in, we explain and try to identify their tolerance threshold on a scale of one to 10 for what we call breakthrough or bust. We call it Bob messaging um, to get. So we're saying, hey, when you try something different, it might not work. But if everybody agrees on the message before we send it out, if the whole boardroom is like, yes, that's approved, that's the moment when we don't want to go live with that message. So when we come on board, we try to in our kickoff call, um, and prior to this, right? It's not like this. This isn't higher. This isn't surprising the person who brought us in. But we like to set and just basically establish up front, like nobody is hiring us to keep doing more of what's been done. You guys already have that in your organization. You're doing great with what's been done. Cool. Um, what we're here for is what if we tried something different to see if being different is even worth it. Because maybe it's not, maybe your audience doesn't have any tolerance for a different message. And we've seen with some, like some, I'm thinking of one brand, I don't think I should say it, but like their audience was like very gray is the best way to describe it. I think like with what they're looking for, they're B2B enterprise, but they don't want any surprises or anything interesting. Right. And so they just want to know exactly what they're getting uh, without but then there are other people who, who always want to know what they're getting. You still want to like express clearly what's going on. 
But I think like some brands are more tolerant of that. So breakthrough or bust for us means you're going, we're going to try messages based on, we'll walk them through everything that we do to arrive at a message. So we're aiming for a message that's either going to be so, so great that it gives us a total breakthrough where we learn some incredible things as marketers, or it will tank so hard that we'll all feel like, oh shit. But that's the, that's the spectrum of where we need to be. We need to be comfortable with those things. Understanding, of course, that if it tanks so hard, we'll have done things like we'll only expose it to 10% of the audience and things like that. So you don't have to worry uh, too much. But if they don't have a tolerance for a breakthrough or bust message, then we don't come on board. There's no point. Yeah. We're not going to write save time, save money. So maybe somebody else has a better way in. But for us, we're like, let's try to push you hard out of your comfort zone right up front. So that if we then come back to you with something that seems actually reasonable <laughs> and you like it, <laughs> then you're like, okay, let's try it. But that's really been it for us. Yeah. So one, I should have started with this, but it's come up oh. now a couple of times. I think I've may, I may have used the words interchangeably. How does positioning fit in with messaging, fit in with copy? How do those yeah. things fit together? And I, I, I apologize for not asking that as the first thing, because I think copy comes from somewhere and people talk yeah. about messaging and copy interchangeably, but they're different. And then positioning yeah. somehow fits in with some someplace. How do you think about them? Yeah, so we definitely find ourselves like... When it comes to positioning, messaging, copy, copy typically is like the most customer facing words you're going to use that express your message. If your message is save time, your copy might be win back 13 hours a week. Okay. Um, and so there, those are the words on the page. The message is like the, what you want to say, the copy is how you want to say it. Positioning, um, of course, is so much higher up from that. The research surfaces insights into, oh, that message might not be right. And, oh, this particular group might need to hear your message and have you position yourself a little differently than that group does. That doesn't mean that always happens because, again, positioning is typically in our experience and in the way that our clients talk about it too, just higher up. Um, so yeah, it's hard to apply like the same exercises that get you to understand your position and how to position yourself. You can't really apply those exercises to now let's go write copy, even like story brand, which is amazing yeah. to work through. You can't write a page with that once you've done it, right? Like you've yeah. got your story, your positioning-ish, your message for sure. But now go write something, you can't. Um, Can you write great copy without the, without the client coming to you and saying, here's what we think our positioning is, or here's where our messaging is, we did a different exercise to get there? Sort of where does the copy, how far into those two things does that bleed? We have all the experiences uh, because we work with such a range of companies, right? And they're figuring themselves out if they're series A um, and they think they've figured a lot out if they're like B or C. So those people often come to us having worked with a consultant on positioning. They'll have like, here are our high level messages or here's our message map. Now go forward and write copy with that. <sighs> um, can you even do and that? And other times it's like, yeah, but, sorry. Can you even do that? Or is that, is that a mess? 
oh man, I hate it. <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard because so often. So the, the challenge is that I have a background in research. I write and I love sales and persuasion online, but I typically get brought into engagements and research has been done in a way that I would not do it. And so I struggle myself. And I know all consultants do this when they come in, like that guy didn't do it right. But like, no, for real, like questions that are asked by the previous, by the research group are like, what would you pay for this? And I'm like, we can do nothing with that information, right? The would questions, those kinds of things are tricky. So I don't love, if I'm brought in with a group that I know is doing, like they care about this stuff. I'm not the first person they've ever talked to about this sort of thing. They're already talking to people like you and other sorts of like consultants out there who can help them figure this stuff out, then cool. Um, but if I'm the first one you're talking to, or if you like outsourced your research to some agency who then gave you a report, that's typically, um, we have a lot of rework that often has to be done in most cases. So I'll, I'll wrap up here. How can companies who want to go through the exercise of improving the language they use, their copy, how, how can they set themselves up for success? If, can they do it internally? Do they need someone external? To your point, can you bring in one consultant for one piece of it and a different consultant for a different piece? I, I'm trying to think how, how, I'm trying to get at how, how can you do this, this work successfully? Yeah, I think it's a big, difficult question. I, based on what I've seen, there again needs to be an understanding at the top and at every level that your message, the words you're going to put out there are what makes sales or turns away customers, either or, like they can do, they, that's what it comes down to. And you have to respect that the vast majority of businesses are built on their message translated into their copy. Um, some terrible products are sold very well because of great messaging and some great products are sold even better because of messaging and other products you'll never hear about never got their message right. And so the market couldn't adopt the product or even consider doing so. So for us, it's the, the engagements we've had problems with are engagements where a person at the top thought this stuff is easy. I can do this in my sleep. If only I had the time, I would do this myself. Uh, that never works out ever. Uh, the ones that do work out are those where the person, person at the top believes guys, let's be on message. Let's get our message right. Let's not guess at that and then commit ourselves to a message that someone in branding came up with on the weekend, but like, let's really think through this. Um, and then cascades that down and make sure the team, the whole organization embodies it. And that often means don't hire a copywriter at all. Everybody's job is to write copy. Everybody's job is to be great at this. It's, that's your that's your job. I don't care what you're in, whether you're in product, you're writing messages that are going to get people to keep using the product or to not understand how to use the product, um, no matter where you are. So if you can organizationally get people to buy into that, it really does mean right up front when you're starting out, especially for like software companies that, you know, start out with one or two people from the get-go. And that's why we teach startup founders this stuff, like from the get-go, if you can care about this, you should never stop caring about this 
and you'll be good. And I know there's so many more things that get added to your plate. I know, I know, but nothing is ever going to be as important as you connecting well with your prospects and customers. That's always going to be job one, no matter what size your business is, you're beholden to your shareholders, your customers, and your employees and shareholders and employees both suffer. If your customers suffer, every like large organization knows this. So you have to talk, but you have to, and this, I can say it till I'm blue in the face. They don't really get it. If you don't get it, you, you don't get it. And maybe you just need to like keep hearing the message again and again. That's been my experience. If someone at the top doesn't think this is important, no one else is going to think it's important enough. What have you experienced there? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think it's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> the honest answer. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I just keep getting fired. I don't know. <laughs> Joanna, oh, thank, thanks for the therapy. Awesome. Thanks, Jared. <laughs>